Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25 is our passage this week. Resting in the presence of Jesus is the title. And that's our challenge and our comfort this morning is, are you resting in the presence of Jesus? You know, I got a question for you. Have you ever experienced a time when you question if God is near? Or have you questioned, does God even care about me? Is he aware of my suffering? Is he aware of the troubles, the problems I'm having financially, relationships, medically? Does he hear your prayer and understand the pain you're enduring? I'm sure that most of us have struggled with these types of questions and feelings of abandonment at some time in our life. King David, who wrote the majority of the Psalms, who defeated the giant Goliath as a young boy with only a rock and a sling, David, who successfully conquered his enemies and called a man after God's own heart, wrestled with these very thoughts and feelings. We see this clearly in Psalms 13, where David cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Now, you may not be as eloquent as David was. Yours may be, why, Lord, just why? What in the world is going on? You might think that if King David or King David had with all of his accomplishments and with the favor of God upon his life, if he can agonize and lose faith during those difficult times, then what chance do I have? Yet scripture tells us that we can rest in the presence of God. David ended that Psalm 13 with these words of confidence after crying out, how long will you forgive me? That's not a question, really. That's an accusation. You've left me. I'm searching for you. You can't be found. David wrote, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. In spite of me not feeling your presence, hearing you, seeing you, I've trusted. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because, listen to this, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, think about the most trying time of your soul, the dark soul of your night, the dark night of your soul. Have you, in those times when you've questioned and wondered where God is, have you also, in the same breath, said God has dealt good with me Uh, that uh, that doesn't compute right Uh, uh, I don't know if I can do both of those at the same time that's some tension I don't think that I can deal with well last week we considered the truth that as citizens of the kingdom of God and as children and family and part of the family of God we are to call we are called to proclaim God's word we are called to listen to God's word and then obey God's word in our life 
Jesus has been stressing that his teaching and his preaching is not just for information transmission, right? It's not just to give you something to know, but it's about life transformation. And that, that's important to even here as OVC. It's not enough for me just to give you something new, something uh, t- tangible, or even something that says, hey, that was interesting and fun. But it's to change your life. A new heart that has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit will result in new attitudes leading to a changed behavior. That's what we saw with the parable of the soils. The word of God will permeate the good soil of our heart and will help us to bear much fruit, leading to a new way of thinking and new affections that will glorify God and be for our good. That is guaranteed. That's that's how we, we mark of whether or not we are a true citizen and a true part of God's family. Now, as a reminder of why we're studying Luke, Because I look at this is our 51 message, 51st message in Luke, and we've only up to Luke chapter 8. But we need to understand that Luke is writing an orderly account to his Gentile readers. They They were mostly Gentile readers who had not seen Jesus. They had not met the disciples. This is several generations after Jesus. But he writes to them so that they may have certainty concerning the things that they had been taught about Jesus, about his identity, about the things he had done. Now, the next few passages, you and I continue in Luke chapter 8. Luke is going to resume the sequence of events that illustrate the powerful, authoritative word of Christ as he exercises his power against natural and supernatural forces. In today's familiar narrative, Jesus displays his power and authority over nature as he calms a raging storm that threatens the life of him and the disciples. So with that, Luke chapter 8, 22 through 25, it's here on the monitor. But again, I always want to encourage you to bring your Bible as we kind of look around. I want you to underline, right? I want to hear those pages turning. If you do not have a Bible, please see me or Landon or Randy, and we will get one to you today uh, after the service so you can take one home and then have it with you. Luke writes on the one day, or saying one day he got into the boat speaking of Jesus with his disciples. And Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. That's important. You may want to underline that. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and they woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? You may want to underline that. That he commands even the winds and water and they obey him. Father, thank you for gospel's account of this. Thank you for this event that was probably very terrifying to the disciples at this time. But I pray that you open up our minds 2,000 years later as we do the work of going back through it and reading this story that you speak anew through this familiar story for many of us. 
Lord, that we may understand what does this mean for us today? And how can this encourage us to rest in the presence of Christ? Thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, there's several things that are in focus as we read this passage. First is that Jesus' decision to go to the other side of the lake. Finishing up his ministry on one side, he desires to travel to the towns and the villages of the other side. Like you might, you might think it's the, it's, it's the Sea of Galilee, and, and Galilee is, is kind of uh, split by, by, by that big old lake. So he's, he's been on this side, he wants to move to the other. As an itinerant preacher, meaning one that travels around, he doesn't have one church, one synagogue, but he moves around. He is constantly on the move, proclaiming, teaching, and healing across the northern part of Galilee. Taking a boat across the lake would be a much faster route than traveling by foot around the lake. So you and I understand this. Secondly, as we look at that, we can observe that that Luke is pointing out that after a busy day of ministering, Jesus just finds a place to lay down and sleep. We've already seen in this gospel that the demands upon Jesus were immense. It was difficult for him to find any time of rest. Many times he had to secret away into a, a mountain or into the wilderness in order just to get away and rest and pray. Jesus takes advantage of this moment and he closes his eyes to get some much needed sleep. We understand this very clearly. Thirdly, the Luke notes that while traveling across the lake, they encountered a storm that proves to be very dangerous. Three times Luke mentions the powerful winds. He describes the winds as raging, causing the boat to take on water in the imminent danger of sinking. D.A. Carson, one of the theologian out of Illinois, writes in his commentary that sudden violent squalls are not uncommon on Galilee, which lies 600 feet below sea level. So hot, steamy air can start to rise, drawing in a rush of air from the desert that eventually churns up the surface of the lake into what he says a violent cauldron. So you can imagine this. Uh, has anyone ever been on a ocean or lake in which they had a terrible storm and like that I, I never have I, I I would not that's one of my fears fourthly we see the response of the disciples as they quickly awake Jesus crying out for help several of these men were seasoned fishermen right we got to remember this they were seasoned fishermen with extensive experience in land in in, in um, handling boats in these very same waters this is something that should not take in them by surprise. Yet their fear in this passage is on full display as they scream into the wind, we are perishing. Fifthly, Jesus awakes to their cries of help and rebukes the wind and the raging waves. I can imagine that Jesus was probably speaking to both the winds as his wave as well as to the, to the disciples as he, say, as he speaks, peace, be still. He's probably saying, peace, be still, peace, be still, as they're crying out. After rebuking the winds, Jesus turns to his disciples and he rebukes them with a simple question. Where is your faith? And that's a question that many times we have to ask ourselves. In that scenario earlier that I spoke of, when we're going through suffering, when we're going through pain, and we want to know where God is, where's your faith? I think it's a question many of us have to ask many times. 
because it seems to be of little or no consequence. Lastly, the last observation is we see the response of the disciples as they question who Jesus is. You can almost imagine he calms the storms and they're looking around. Who is this? Who is this that commands the seas and the winds to stop? Their emotions are a mix of both fear and wonder. It says they marveled as they witnessed the divinity and power of Jesus, who with words commands with authority for the seas to obey them. Now, the chances are that most of you are very familiar with this miraculous event. You've read it, you've heard it before. You might have seen it in a movie. However, I want us to take a a moment this morning and consider it once more. And as we do so, I want you, you you are to be active listeners as I'm sharing this. At this moment, not only should your Bible be opened or maybe it's on your tablet or your phone, but you should be actively listening with me and, 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 and praying. But what are, what are you trying to teach me here? What is it that you want me to understand? So once more, I want us to pray for the Holy Spirit to help us to understand the purpose of including this event in Luke's gospel. You know, John tells us at the end of John's gospel that there were many, many things that Jesus did that if all of them were written in books, that the libraries could not handle them. So why does Jesus, in three of the gospels, include this story? Why would the disciples include it? It doesn't really put them in a, paint them in a very good light. But it's here. And it's supposed to be profitable for our doctrine, for teaching us, for correcting us, and instructing us in righteousness. So you and I have a responsibility and obligation here to to tackle this passage. So we want to consider today, how does this event give us certainty to the Gentile readers, the original readers of Luke's gospel? How did this give them certainty of who Jesus was? In the same way, how then 2,000 years does this give us certainty that you and I can trust in Christ? Well, we're going to do that by asking and answering three questions. What does this event reveal about disciples and their faith? What does this event reveal about the identity and power of Christ? And what promises or commands does this passage teach us today? In answer to the first question, what does this event reveal about the disciples and their faith? You and I are drawn to their response both to the storm and then to Jesus' demonstration of power. The storm, now listen to this, the storm here does more than just almost tip their boat over. It does more than just give us an opportunity to see who Jesus is and see his power and authority. It's more than just an action item that we can watch on TV or or see in the children's coloring book. This storm, listen to this, exposes their heart and their faith. Thank you. This storm exposes the condition of their heart and of their faith. Jesus often rebuked his disciples for their weak and lack of faith. 
and not trusting God to provide for their daily needs. Peter, while sinking on the water, the disciples concerned about not having bread when he had just fed 5,000 people with very little loaves of bread. Disciples not being able to cast out demons when God had given them the power to do so. They're running away in fear when Jesus was arrested. As we noted earlier, several of these disciples, not all of them, but several of them, were experienced fishermen who knew this sea very well. This is where they made their living. It was probably one of their boats that they were traveling on. Surely they had encountered high winds and waves in the course of their occupation. If anyone was prepared to handle this this dangerous situation, these men would be at the top of the list. I would say, I'm glad I've got Peter and Andrew, James and John. This is what they do for a living. Yet it seems that the storm was something that even caused them to fear. The size of the waves, the force of the wind, and the gravity of the danger speaks to an abnormal storm that took them by surprise and sparked a sense of fear and dread into their hearts. They were afraid for their lives as they cried out, Master, Master, we are perishing. The power of the storm exposes the weakness of their faith. At this time, their faith is still small and weak. The New American Commentary notes, and you see this here on the monitor, I believe, that the disciples were not rebuked for having no faith, but for lacking sufficient faith. And that's important. They lacked sufficient faith to realize that they were in the Lord's presence. You're going to hear that phrase quite a bit from me. Resting in the presence of the Lord. They need not have feared. Why? Because they were in the Lord's presence. However, they said, who is this? They didn't know who he was. They didn't understand. No harm could come upon them when they were in the presence of the master of nature. Though these 12 men were personally chosen by the father to assist Jesus and his ministry, they reacted more like those whose heart was like the rocky soil in our parable. Remember of several weeks ago? Those who hear the word of God, they receive it with joy, but having no root, they believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they what? Fall away. But these were men of the good soil, all except for Judas, Judas Iscariot. But they're acting like those whose heart is not good. The problem is not that they have no faith, but in the face of the storm, listen to this, it's not that they had no faith, but in the face of the storm, their faith seemed to be absent or misplaced on the wrong object. The storm, the raging waves, the sinking of the ship was bigger than the presence of Jesus on the boat. By the way, This is always the test of our faith. Let me ask you, what is the response, your response, to the storms, the heat, and the pressure of life? When suffering comes, whether it's, it's medically, maybe it's a disability, maybe it's in relationships, maybe it's in hardship and finances, maybe it's in your business. When storms and those, that pressure and that, that heat comes upon you, how do you respond? Do you respond with sufficient faith to that issue? 
most likely, many times, we fail just as the disciples fail. And that pressure, that heat is always going to come. This leads us to the second question of, what does this event reveal about the identity and the power of Jesus? How does this reveal about Jesus? What do we learn about him? Seeing Jesus calm the storm with just his words leads his disciples with this question. Who then is this? Who is this man? I think they're looking at him and saying, who are you? How do you do that? How do you accomplish that? How are you sleeping in the midst of this storm? Do you not hear the wind? Do you not feel the shaking of the boat? Do you not feel the water that's pouring in? Who is this? It commands even the winds and the water. It's not that he just does it, but they obey him. It's very evident that Jesus proves himself to be more than just a teacher or a master. As they call out master, master, he's much more than that. With authority, he rebukes the storm, demonstrating that he is the master of all nature. Now, even though, again, as I've said, they've been handpicked by Jesus to be his disciples. They have traveled with him. They had ate with him. They had ministered along with him. They had witnessed many of the great things he has done. And though he has spent some time privately teaching and explaining all things to him, the disciples still have not come to grip with who Jesus really is and I fear that in our pulpits and in our in our pews that many Christians have not yet come to grips with who Jesus really is you might recall that they have seen and heard the demons cry out when confronted with Jesus Jesus of Nazareth speaking of the demons how come have you come to destroy us I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Another one cries out, you are the Son of God. Could you imagine hearing the demons cry out? As the Son of God, Jesus has demonstrated his divinity through his healings, his exorcism, of raising even the dead. In the Psalms, we read of God's power over the seas. In Psalms 29, 2, it says, ascribe to the Lord the glory Due to his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is the Lord over many waters. Look at this passage of scripture on the monitor, Psalms 89. He says, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are. O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the ragings of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalms 104 says he set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep, speaking of the water, as with a garment. The water stood above the, the, the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight, speaking of the day of creation as well as that is the time of Noah's flood. And the thing is, here's the thing, as the disciples would have known these psalms, as young men, they would have been taught to memorize these psalms. 
They've seen him heal many people from various diseases and sickness. He's healed people near death. He raised someone from the dead. They were with him when he demonstrated his divine power that no one else had. Remember when they caught a large number of fish when he told them to cast out their nets after a fruitless night of fishing. He says, cast your nets over and they brought it in and again they wondered who he was. In addition, they should have trusted his purpose and plan. They didn't know who they were standing with. Luke tells us in the beginning of the passage that Jesus' plan was to go, what, remember I had you underline this? To go to the other side of the lake. I'm going to go across, Jesus said. Jesus already expressed that his purpose was to go to all the towns and villages proclaiming the gospel. In other words, there is nothing that can stop or prevent Jesus from fulfilling his mission. If he said that he wanted to go across to the other side of the lake, you can rest assured that Jesus is going across the lake. He's saying the same things to you and I. And we're getting in the middle of the lake and we don't believe Jesus is going to get us to the other side. We're concerned. We're worried. We're frantic. We're ready to bail ship. Turn your, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Now this has already been demonstrated several times, God's power over the seas. Several times in Israel's history. When Yahweh instructed his people to grow across a body of water. Remember, go across the Red Sea. Go across the River Jordan. In those cases, the water stopped on both sides and they were able to walk across. God controls the waters. God created the rules of nature and he has no problem, no difficulty in suspending those very laws when he deems it necessary. The disciples' dilemma is not that they were not aware, is, is that they were not aware of whose presence they were in. And it's the same with us many times. We are guilty of forgetting that as children of God, we are in the very presence of the Almighty. Emmanuel, God with us. We are for guilty, forgetting of that, guilty of that. But you and I are called to trust him that God has a plan and a purpose such as when he promises in Romans chapter 8, you're there, I pray by now. Look at verse 28. God's promise is that those who love God, all things work together for good. You know this verse. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God has a plan. He is taking you, if you are one of God's uh, children, he is going to take you across to make you into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And he goes on to say, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also justified, and to those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If Jesus says, I'm going across to the other side, who can be against him? There is no storm. There is no wind. There is no raging uh, uh, waves and storms that can prevent him from doing exactly that. And here's the issue. Is this reveals that God will do what he says he will do. 
D.A. Carson once again writes that our faith will be more centered or stable if we center on who Jesus is. Again, that's the problem I think we have is our faith is unstable. We are double-minded because we are not centered, focused on Jesus. But the storm, the heat, the pressure, some other thing in life. Unfortunately, the disciples focus on the storm. Their fear caused them to doubt Jesus. However, before we are too harsh with them, you and I must remember that we are guilty of this very same thing. We too take our eyes off Jesus. We lose focus on who he is. Yet as Paul encourages his spiritual son Timothy to remember that God has given us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. So what's the storm? What's the pressure? What's the heat that you're experiencing right now in your life? Remember that God is for you and that he will get you a cross. That's his purpose. That's his plan. Thank you. If you are called by him. So let me just say, if you're here today and you did not know if you, if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven, if you do not know the Savior, then I, I implore you to do so today. Today is the day of salvation. After the service, see Randy, Landon, and I, we'd be more than happy to share with you how you can know for sure that you will get across Now, the third question asks, what promises or commands does this passage teach us? This is putting a little bit more relevant to us today. What what does this tell us? How how can I focus on him? Well, let me give you three of them. Number one is that the object of our faith, the object of our faith is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. When people talk about faith, people say faith all the time. I have faith. I have faith that I can do this. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me, right? You know, I have faith. I have faith in this. I have faith in that. The problem is, is that the world has told you to have faith, but it hasn't told you to have faith in. They, they, They told you to have faith in yourself. You can do this, right? You can be anything that you want to be. I just, someone did this this week uh, in, in, in Justice League uh, that just came out again. Wonder Woman says to a little girl, um, you can do anything that you want to do. And a, a young man, a father and his son was watching that and she says that phrase, you can be anything that you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. That's the mantra, right? The world's mantra. His little boy looks at him and says, well, what if she's no good at it? Yeah, that, that, that the world's philosophy is just garbage. I'm going to tell you, I will never be six foot four with a full head of hair. I want to be, I've tried to be, but it doesn't work. I will never be able to dunk a basketball. Okay, I will never be able to do that as much as I have tried. It's not fair. We need equity. But the object of our faith many times is placed in the wrong thing. It's placed maybe in your business. Maybe it's in your spouse to make you happy, your children to give you purpose. Maybe it's in your retirement plan. This is what I'm working so hard. I've lost all things because so I can have retirement. Maybe the object of your faith is the government. They gave us $1,400. There's no poverty anymore. Isn't that what they say? This $1,400 stimulus is going to drive everyone out of poverty. No, we all went and bought flat, big, big flat screens. You know, Walmart got rich. 
We should have just gave the money to them. What's the object of your faith? Maybe it's in politicians. If this man's president, then we must just give up. And let me tell you, there's a lot of things that I've got to warn you about that's coming down the pike for us. I tell you, as a church, I am not sure if we will much longer have the privilege of meeting together. And you and I should understand this. A year ago, they took this away from us. And it took many of us a long time to get back, and we're still not all together. The government says, "Ah, we can take that right away. Put your object of your faith is in Christ. Instead of doubt and fear, he desires our praise and worship as the Lord of all creation. Jesus' authority over nature shows his true person, his power, and his purpose. Too often we are focused on something other than God to supply our needs, to calm our fears, to provide comfort when we're struggling, and deliver us from suffering. Who are you trusting in? Is it it your business? Is it your employer? Is it in your family? Let me tell you, each and every one of those things will fail you. And they have, amen? Many of you say, yeah, every one of those things eventually has failed me. But yet then we get up and we try the very same thing. Well, if my wife failed me, well, I'll just get a new wife. Well, my husband is a jerk, well, I'll just get a boyfriend. You know, we, I, I'm being facetious, obviously, but you hear what I'm saying here? We, we do these things. We move to move and move, looking for something better. Not realizing that as children of God, we're in the presence. It doesn't get any better than this. Number two, the third question that this gives us as promise is trust that Jesus is going to do what he says he's going to do. I'm going across. Hell or high water, I'm going across. Nothing's going to stop me from proclaiming and doing what God is, the Father has given me to do. Jesus knew, hey, I have an appointment in a couple years on Golgotha. Nothing's stopping me from doing that. You and I need to have that same mindset. Scripture is full of promises that God will take care of his children. It doesn't mean that he will not let you go through hardship and you may not suffer. But he says he has a plan. The Bible tells us that Jesus is preparing a place for his children and that he's going to come and he's going to return and he's going to bring us back there with him. It says that he will preserve us until the end. He will help us to endure. He's going to send the comforter or has already to guide us in all things and many more promises that Jesus says, I will do. You can take the promises of Scripture to heart. As the Apostle Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, you see it here on the monitor. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, speaking of Jesus. From the covenant that he'll never flood the earth again in the days of Noah to Abraham till today. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Jesus will accomplish exactly. Now that does not mean that you will not face some raging storms. It, may, it doesn't mean that you won't feel the winds get pretty riled up. It doesn't mean that God's not going to rock the ship or the boat of your life. It doesn't mean that you won't feel heat and pressure. 
that means that God will get you across. Number three, the promise that you can grab is rest in the power, the purposes, and providence of God. Rest in the power, and the purpose, and the providence of God. You know, those first century Gentile Christians who are opening up the book or the scroll of Luke 2,000 years ago would have been greatly encouraged by Luke's account of this event. They would have found comfort in the the midst of the raging waters of persecution that they were facing because they were Christians. Thrown to the lions, beheaded, crucified, martyred because they were Christians. It would have encouraged them to focus on the person and work of Christ for salvation. It would have given them the faith to carry on. In the same way, you and I are facing many storms, but we must rest in the power and the purpose and the providence of God in the political things that are going on. And there are many things now that are turning against uh, the freedom of religion, the freedom of worship, and our Christian faith. We're seeing some of it not only happening in other parts of the country, uh, of the world, but now in Canada, and it's moving its way down here. And I don't want to speak much of it. I can do that at another time. The cultural Our society has just turned itself inside out. What is it? Carl Truman in his new book says, when in the world did this one sentence, I am a man trapped in a woman's body, ever made sense? For those of you who have your kids in California school, you should see the new curriculum that they just adopted. You're going to be shocked and alarmed. Economically, in our health, in our relationships, we must rest in the power, the purpose, and the providence of God. Yet you and I need to be reminded of this promise that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. I believe it's here on the monitor. I think you've been. In all of this, in these storms, in these heats, in this pressure, read the first line with me, would you? So we do not lose Heart. By the way, can you read that okay? I've never asked you that. Is, that. is that, for those of you with regular eyes, can you see that? Okay. Do not lose heart. You find that, find that passage of scripture and, and circle that. Highlight it. Put it on your screensaver. If you're going to get a tattoo, maybe put that tattoo on your forehead so you see it when you look in the mirror. Make sure you do it in, in reverse so you can see it actually. Don't lose heart. Don't go get a tattoo. Save your money. Give it to the food drive. Don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Do you see that? God knows that you on the outside, your body is wasting away. And some of you can say amen to that. At my age, I feel like I can't even get up and down these stairs. Right now, my back is just killing me. Yeah, I, you know, I just like, I just don't understand it. Our inner self 
is being renewed. Day by day. For this light momentary affliction, we read this earlier in in adult core class, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but as we focus, as our, our faith, the object, is we're looking to the things that are unseen. All we see is the winds and the waves. Our eyes, and we're, we're looking because it's just so much. We can't see the, the clearness. We can't see the land on the, on the other side. For the things that are seen are transient, means they're going, they're moving. But the things that are unseen are what? Eternal. John MacArthur says that Jesus, through this event, gives his disciples, through the weakness of their faith, through their weakness, he gives them a preview of God's glorious kingdom. In this little snapshot of their time, in in the fact that their life is in danger, they're crying out, this is actually giving them a preview. It is a trailer, so to speak, of God's glorious kingdom when the natural elements will never be out of control. We look at today, why do we have storms? Why do we have tornadoes? I think just today there was another uh, earthquake somewhere in Japan. The week before, there was a tsunami warning because of in, in New Zealand area or somewhere around that because of an underground water uh, earthquake. Why do we have those things? Because of sin. But in this case, he's saying, I'm giving you a preview in which God is control over all things, and sin is no longer. In the same way, when you see those raging winds uh, uh, rise up against you, you feel the rocking of your life because of the waves. You must use those times to consider that the troubles and the storms that you are going through right now are reminders of the new earth and the new heaven. When sin will be fully eradicated and all things are restored to very good. You and I must recognize that whatever you're going through in heaven will be terminated in that day when Christ comes. And he brings down that new earth. It's a preview. He's given you a release. He's given you hope that things will not always be like this. Take your Bibles one last time and turn to Psalm 69. As now I want to take the work and we've given you some explanation and interpret what the scripture tells us. What it reveals about the disciples and Jesus and his plan and his purpose I want to just do a quick work of how you and I apply it. As we have learned, the condition of our heart determines our, our behavior and our response to those harsh storms of life that we go through. Once regenerated, once the Holy Spirit comes and lives, once we are reborn, born again, you and I conduct a long journey of sanctification where we're being made more like Christ, where the Holy Spirit works in and through us to make us in the image of Christ. And so those storms and things of those nature, as scripture reveals, are necessary. But I want us to commit this week to yielding to that Spirit's work because you and I need to understand that, that we must go through those if we want to get across. Let's commit to the Spirit's work in our heart by reflecting and resting. If you're taking notes, here it is. Reflect and rest. Reflect and rest in the presence of Jesus.
Why could Jesus sleep? Because he was in the presence of himself. He who created the water can still the water at a moment's notice. Here's three things. Rest and reflect. Assured that Jesus as human understands your weakness. We kind of skipped over that point, but the fact that Jesus fell asleep shows that he's human. Reflect and rest assured that Jesus as human understands your weakness. And I'm not going to go deep in this, but let me, give you a, a, let me give you something that might surprise you. Jesus today, as he sits on the right hand of God, is still human and divine. He's divine. But his human side that he took in the incarnation is still there. He was resurrected bodily. He still ate. He still walked. He's both divine and human. He understands our weaknesses. Number two, reflect and rest assured that Jesus is divine and he can calm our hearts and he can see through your storm. Then reflect and rest assured that Jesus is sovereign over all things. Get this. And you can summate this message. As a citizen of the kingdom, as a child of God, you are in the very presence of God. Forever. One day that will be perfectly in the same location. But he's still with us, for he is sovereign over all things. Let us consider Psalm 69. I asked you to turn there a moment ago. Look at Psalm 69, look at verse 13, where David sings, But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from the sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. I think David fought with anxiety and depression. Verse 16, answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. This may be a good way for you and I to end our mornings or our nights with prayer. Pray this prayer. Pray the prayer of David. Let us rest in the presence of Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, and our friend. Amen? Amen. I have one last important word, and then I'll let you go. I want to go back to the words that he said, Master, Master, save us, for we are perishing. It would behoove us to say at this time is, you and I need to recognize that there are those that are perishing. That they are in storms and they do not have a savior. They do not have a redeemer. They do not have a friend. They are not in the presence of Jesus. You and I need to share with them that there is one who understands 
their difficulties, their problems. They need to recognize that their greatest problem is not a medical disability. It's not a relationship problem. It's not financial hardships. That their biggest need is that they need to be saved from the wrath of God because of their sin. I love this old hymn, Brandon. This would be another one I love to put on there. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep over the erring ones, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter. You ever feel that way? I have. Feelings lie buried that only grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, cords that are broken will vibrate once more. Not only can he save the sinner, but he can restore the Christian who struggles. Let me end it with this by this little phrase. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Reflect and rest assured that you and I are in the presence of an almighty God. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And then Landon as well. Did I get that right this time? I'm going to make a note here so I have it. Landon, if you come up and prepare for our pastor's prayer. The rest, I'm just going to ask you for just for a moment, would you just take a moment to pause? You can close your eyes, bow your head if you'd like. But just take a moment to pause. And consider the words that I gave you this morning. And as before, I'm going to ask you to continue to pray. Because I want you to ask those questions. Are you resting and reflecting assured that you are in the presence of God? If not, would you come? Come to know him? Is there there some things that are preventing you? Is the object of your faith uh, misplaced? Is your faith sufficient for the storm? If not, then pray, God, give me a greater measure of faith. That is his gift for you. Come to him, be rest assured, and respond to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Then would you come and close us with our pastor's prayer. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.